you would, open up with me in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 2. Uh, Luke 2, as I alluded uh, earlier, uh, we are, of course, in the Advent season, which uh, provides an opportunity for a, a shorter and often Christmas-themed sermon series. And as I prayed and worked through exactly what uh, we might do, uh, what, what would God have for us? Uh, I, I began to reminisce. I thought about all of the sermon series that uh, we had gone through and I wondered to myself if y'all knew that they were purposeful or if you thought that maybe I just uh, did the old uh, flip through and then put the finger down like, all right, here we are today, you know, we find ourselves in, you know, uh, 1 Samuel or something like that. But I uh, know it's not the case. And, and then I wondered if anybody would remember the first series that we ever went through. Uh, my very first Sunday we started it. Uh, this is thinking back now, almost five years, five and a half really. Uh, we did a topical series on the life of Peter. The reason why I felt like we needed that uh, was because in a lot of ways Peter in the Gospels is uh, like me, very, uh, very loud uh, very rambunctious and very sinful. Uh, and yet, uh, the Lord uh, chose him, uh, just like y'all had chosen me to come and be the pastor. And then uh, we transitioned into First and Second Peter, the letters that Peter wrote later on in his life. Uh, Peter that you see in the Gospels is the same Peter that wrote those letters, and yet Peter had a strong desire for the sojourners, the people of God, who were trying to figure out what life looks like on this side of heaven. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of confusion. What in the world is going on? We've got Satan prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. We've got suffering. We've got false teachers. Maybe this is ringing a bell. First and second Peter. And then on and on. And if you maybe look back through your own notes or went on to our uh, uh, website or the podcast, you'll see that uh, incrementally we went through these different parts of the Bible, the life of Joseph. Uh, we went through the full gospel of Luke. We, we did all of these different things, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And it's leading somewhere. And yet, as I prayed and thought, what are we missing? And what could God provide us in, in this short amount of time, the short sermon series? And it came to me. Uh, it came to me that, that we don't need, and you'll see this, I'm not making it up right off the bat, okay? It's on our bulletin. That, that we don't need definitions. We've got those. We don't need emotions. Sadly, we've got those. You can never trust your emotions. They're dangerous and misleading. But what does God give us in his word? What did he give you for your life? He gives you definite experience, foundation that you can live your life on with utter confidence for the entirety and the eternity I look out and see so many of y'all, so many different life stages, about to get married, right? What a life stage. College, high school, middle school, parents of high school, middle school, some who are just in our stage with the children, some who have seen their children grow up. 
a different stage. And God gives us a foundation. It's not definition. It's not emotion. It's definite experience. And so I thought, why don't we go through these words and see what God provides for us. And so this main point this morning coming out of Luke 2 is that, that hope is light in darkness. And, and you're going to see, as I mentioned with the children, that, that it's, it's so hard to nail down exactly what hope is. It's faith and it's assurance and it's confidence and it's belief and it's so much more. But it's certainly light and darkness. And you're going to see what I mean as we read through Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 21 and see just what hope is and how we might not feel it, how we might not define it, but rather how you might experience it. Because that's what you need, is to experience hope, to experience Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for something more than mere definitions. We can get that in eighth grade. Lord, thank you for something more than, than feeling. We have that our whole lives, and it always messes us up. Lord, thank you for your word that is sure and certain, an anchor in the veil. So, Lord, please, would you bless us by your spirit and open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. We need you to do it, God because we're stubborn and we're sinful and yet you're so good you're patient you're merciful you're gracious so please help us in Jesus name amen Luke chapter 2 starting with verse 8 and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, <coughs> Excuse me, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And this, indeed, is a first among equals. Remember our main point. Hope is light and darkness. The first point to help us try to get there comes from verses 8 and 9 of Luke chapter 2 and it's this hope is shocking 
Verse 8, and in the same region there were some shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Okay, so what we have is darkness, all right? There are no city lights. There could be a campfire, okay? Uh, they're, they're just, it's, it's darker than you think. And if you've ever been in the country, you know what I mean. Country dark is different than city dark, okay? And this was more country dark than y'all are used to, okay? And out of this darkness, <coughs> excuse me, out of this darkness, uh, oh, came out this angel uh, shining and, and the glory of the Lord then appears and, and the shepherds, remember, are, uh, God willing, if they are good shepherds, faithful shepherds, of which we can assume these are as God is appearing, as they are watching the sheep, they're hoping nothing's going to frighten them. For instance, wolves or bears or giant legions of angels, right? Uh, you know, they, they've got to make sure that their sheep are well and in the fold, protected and together. And poof! Hope is shocking. Out of nowhere, nowhere, this angel appears to the shepherds. They had no portend, no prophecy to lean upon. Uh, no archangel appeared to one of the shepherds and said, by the way, uh, maybe on this night you're going to notice uh, that I'm going to come and we're going to do some singing for you. So gather your friends and be ready. You know, Mary and Joseph uh, and, and really even uh, uh, their extended relatives that you see with John the Baptist, Elizabeth. Uh, you, you see all of uh, uh, Zacharias. Uh, you see all of them uh, having this forewarning, this one-on-one, -on -one, right? Well, this is the one-on-one. -on -one. Boom! And everything changes. And it's a perfect picture of salvation. It's a perfect picture of hope. You know, uh, it's easy to see this. I was talking with Rebecca uh, about uh, what I was going to be trying to share from God's Word and, and how to do it well and to keep close to the Word and yet, and yet help us to grasp this concept of hope. And, and she really had a good point about how this is easy for us to understand with grief. Grief comes upon us unexpectedly, doesn't it? Have you ever experienced that? A sudden death in the family? Even one that's expected. It hits us like a freight train, doesn't it? If you haven't experienced it, you will. This world isn't as it should be. It's tough. And it's hard. It's corrupted. That's why Jesus came. And man, that hit surely is shocking, right? Grief. We can agree to that, usually. But the same thing is true of hope. In fact, it's, it's more with hope. Because God comes out of nowhere, God willing, before, but sometimes after, and sometimes during, and, and when we're suffering, or we're going through trials, and, and he, boom, he appears. And it's not a legion of angels. Usually it's just like, if you remember that sermon series, where we walked with Elijah all the way through his life and ministry. It wasn't the fire. It wasn't the earthquake. It wasn't the strong and mighty gusts of wind. What was it? that God used to speak to his prophet who was in desperate need. It was a whisper. A still, small 
voice. And when you've experienced it, you know. Hope is shocking and it comes out of nowhere. Grief is shocking and it comes out of nowhere. Suffering is shocking. Uh, surprises, all of this. But we dare not forget that hope is shocking. And boy, oh boy, if the shepherds aren't a good example of that, I don't know who is. Secondly, though, hope has content because it's not just a shock to the system. It's not just an angel appearing and scaring the dickens out of the sheep and the shepherds, right? Uh, that, that really wouldn't give anything yet. Hope is not only shocking, it doesn't, it, it's not on our timetable, in other words. It also has content. Verses 10 and 11 and 12, we see this angel saying, fear not. Why? Why? Because the angel is not the angel of death. Perhaps if you're sitting in the night and these shepherds, if they were Jews, and perhaps if they knew that story of Passover, an angel appearing in the night, this might not be good. Right? That was an angel of death. Who is this angel and what, what is this angel about? I bring you good news. I bring you really good news. Will you listen to me? Let me tell you the content. Let me tell you the message. If you wanted to think back to a sermon series that we've been in before, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Malach, he, my messenger. My angel is the Hebrew. I've got good news. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord is born. And if you really want to see if what I'm telling you is true, go. I'll give you the directions. Not only is there a message, but there is such a deep foundation of content that the angel says, listen, you just go and see if the words I say are true. There is a content to the shock that, that begins to coalesce with this concept of hope because the, the shepherds are thinking, wait, what is this? This is sensory overload and now you're telling me something and, and yes, we've been waiting. Yes, we've been, dare I say it, hoping that what you say is true. Miss Virginia gave us a good definition, didn't she? Hope, I'm just hoping they're going to do the thing they said they would, the right thing. What did God say? I'm going to save you. And now is the time. Hope has content. Go and see if what I said is true. Verses 10, 11, and 12. Verse 3. Even as it's a shock. Even as we're starting to coalesce this concept of hope and, and, and begin to see that it's not a blind hope, like a blind faith, but rather there's content that we can see and that we can truly trust in. We begin to see that hope is not just bare bones, cold fact. In other words, definition. No, it's beyond that. Hope is beautiful. Verses 13 and 14. Notice that I didn't say that it is a feeling. Hope is beautiful. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, not with swords drawn, but rather praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Hope is beautiful. 
There is a moment in time where our lives will be informed with either that which God has given us or that which the world has given us. There is no in-between. And one is beautiful and one is not. And it's easy to tell the difference. You will know them by their works. You will know them by their fruit, is what Jesus said. If they do not bear fruit, they will be thrown into the fire. Put away, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, idolatry, malice, wrath. You can see it. It can be defined. And it doesn't feel good. And for the Christian, it doesn't feel good when we embody those things. And so we fly back to the cross and we pray to God to forgive us of our sins and to help us to move away from them. It's the life of the repentant Christian. You hate it when you fall into those things of the world that are distasteful, that are, that are unsavory, that are inappropriate. Even when we fall in which we do, right? Surely it's not just me. It's a trick question we all do, okay? Um, but there's something beyond that, right? For the Christian. It's not just this uh, mass of self-loathing, uh, this frustration and discontent, this seeking after uh, something that can fill the void in our lives, but it's a God-sized void and therefore it cannot be filled by things because only God can fill it. No, for the Christian who's not seeking after the world, but rather after God, we begin to see the beauty of God. We begin to see that there is more. That we can hope for something better. To go back to that Peter series. That we're sojourners in the land. In other words, this isn't our home. My late grandmother, she had a plate, a license tag. It was never taken, no matter what state she was in. Sojourner. It might have been sojourn. Do the math on it, I can't remember. Sojourn. And she used to tell me about it every time. She was always burning the trail from Florida to Georgia to Tennessee to Alabama. We're a good, uh, good southern mutt is me. I've got all the states, right, covered with my family. And boy, oh boy, did she sojourn. And she always said, my, my home isn't where I live. It's where you are. Hope is beautiful. But we're sojourners here. It's okay to say that this place is not always beautiful. There's beauty here, for God is here. But surely you know of the unbeautiful things. We experience them every day. But we hope for something more. It's, it's beautiful as we, as we sing and as we praise, as we look and as we see what God has for us, as we do this worship. And as we worship day to day as Christians, because that's what Christians do, day to day, look unto God. And as we do, it's because we're looking for something better than this place, because God has worked a work in our hearts, and we see that this place is just not enough. And we need something more. All the presence under the tree, Jesus Christ will never be. 
But Jesus Christ has come for you. A work for you to do. Hope is beautiful. And as we look and we see the praise being rendered unto God by this legion of angels, we can't help but join and praise ourselves. Dare I say it, in hope. Maybe we're getting closer. I'm not going to give you a definition. I'm just going to give you the facets of the gem so you can look at it and behold it. You are the one who has to grasp it. Verses 15 through 20. Hope instills action because as the shock comes, and it's not just a shock, we see that it's founded upon content, upon true realities that God is doing. As we see that this isn't bare definition, but rather that there's a beauty, that there's something more beyond definition, but not feeling. It's, it's, it's more tangible than feeling. It moves us. It instills action. The Christian is active, not inactive. Faith without works is dead. Why does the Christian go to God's Word? Why does the Christian desire to gather with God's people? Why does the Christian cry out to God in prayer? Why does the Christian feel bad when I say those three things and you're thinking, oh man, <laughs> have I done that recently? Even that reveals a reality of a desire, of action that God has given you, of a hope that has manifested by the Holy Spirit to move you. It's no such thing as a Christian couch potato when it comes to spirituality. I don't mean if you're a good worker or not. If you're like very diligent at school or if you're the crammer. <laughs> Y'all know what I mean? I've studied uh, 30 minutes a day for 14 weeks and now I'm ready. Or I've studied for 72 hours straight. I'm very tired and now I'm ready. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a movement of spirituality where we desire spiritual things where we desire to confer upon our children the hope that has been given to us to share the name of Jesus. Where we seek to serve our neighbors even when we don't want to. Huh, I feel very uncomfortable doing, doing neighbor things. I'm just not good at it. And I think that many of you would share a similar feeling. I just, I don't do so good at it. Rebecca is, is super gifted. But it doesn't mean that I don't have a desire to, to, to pull and stretch a little bit out of, my, out of my inclination and move as God would have me. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it either. Hope instills action. But, but what is your action? We see what the shepherds did. They went. But not only did they go, they told. But not only did they tell, they worshipped. But not only did they worship, they kept on worshipping. Not only did they keep on worshipping, they went back. <laughs> and they worshipped and probably, we have to assume, found the sheep. Could you imagine? The legion of angels and the sheep? Are, do y'all know about sheep? I mean, come on. That is annoying. I'm no sheep. And my father-in-law, if a cow gets, one cow gets in the woods. Oh, he's upset. All the sheep got in the woods, okay? 
they had to go find the sheep. But they went back, and they went back changed. Mary treasured. Others wondered. And the shepherds, in hope, they praised, and they glorified, and they went, and they told. And we can have confidence that they kept doing the very same thing all throughout the rest of their lives. As the Holy Spirit didn't just work in angels, but he worked in their very souls that night. Confirming, perhaps, what they already had, but raising that hope level to an eternity perspective. Hope instills actions. Finally, and fifthly, verse 21. Jesus is hope. At the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. By the way, Jesus is Greek for Joshua. Joshua in the Hebrew, Yeshua. He will save. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jesus is hope. He is shocking. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And Jesus did not initially come on the clouds in judgment, nor did he arrive in a full regalia armor ready to do battle against the Roman pigs of the day. Because Rome was bearing down upon God's people just as they bore down on everyone. No, this wasn't God coming in wrath. This was God coming as a baby. Shocking. Shocking. But there was content. Because there was a star in the sky. There were magi on their way from the east. In all likelihood, following a long line of disciples of Daniel himself. There were shepherds in the field. Going all the way back. Before Ezekiel, Moses was a shepherd, for instance, Abraham before him. But in Ezekiel, where God said, I will be their shepherd. They will be my sheep. And so he goes to the shepherds. There's content. It's full. All of the prophecies being fulfilled in this infant Jesus. And as it's happening... He is moving. No, not Jesus standing up and walking like a toddler. No, no, he's, he's moving. That, that is, he is instilling action from his, from his un- or otherworldly beauty because he just wasn't beautiful to the world. I'm not beautiful to the world. I'm othered. All the talks of minorities... And injustices. You want to see if I could get a job anywhere else other than this pulpit? If I told them what I believe and what I say every week in the world? Nothing. Jesus, times a million, was not loved by the world. Ugly. Ill repute, criminal, false teacher. Everyone despised him. Even his disciples were tempted to go away from him. Will you too leave me? 
where else can we go, Jesus? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. But they're thinking, man, this is heavy. And a lot of people aren't going to like us. Jesus is light in the darkness, though. He is a foundation. He provides something beyond definition because the Pharisees had that. The religious people of today have definition. The professors of the day have definition. The cable news stations of the day have varying definitions, depending on which one you're watching. Your friends have definitions. You have definitions. I have definitions. But God has something definite. We all have feelings. My feelings are not yours. If you know me, you know I ride a wave of emotion. What's the thing, ENFP or whatever it is, the personality thing? My, when Rebecca and I took the thing for premarital counseling, my F, which is feeling, was so high off the charts that they said you don't even have to worry about the other letters. It's just F. It's just feeling. And then do you know what? It was a, a counselor at First Pres. You know what she said? She said, be careful. Be careful. It'll be good, but it'll also be bad. <laughs> no, instead of feeling... This is experience. This is foundation. Jesus is shocking. Jesus, he, he is fullness. He, he is beautiful. He is moving. He is light and darkness. Jesus is hope. But have you experienced this? Not can you define it. Not can you feel it today or have you felt it before. This may offend, but I'll just offend both generations. I don't care about the Billy Graham crusade, and I don't care about the New Spring worship. How about that? I care about your experience with Jesus, and if you've had it or not. And if it's a long-standing foundation for you that goes beyond mere definitions which change, and mere feelings which blow and wither and light up, depending on the day. No. Have you experienced hope, the hope of Jesus Christ that the shepherds experienced in fullness, not at the angels, not in the light, not with the song, not with Mary or Joseph or anything else, but at the boy Jesus and the reality that God had sent his own son to save, that that son would grow as a human though he was God. And that he would perfectly live his life and then go to the cross unjustly that he might pay for our sins. But death can't hold Jesus because he did nothing wrong. And the wages of sin is death. And so as Jesus goes into the grave, he rises again from the grave, conquering death, and he pays for our sin. This is hope. But have you experienced it? And if you haven't, I have one application for you. I was a little mean to Billy Graham. So maybe we could do a Billy Graham prayer. But it won't be the sinner's prayer. I told the children in Sunday school today, the same thing I tell my children. 
Jesus told us prayers don't have to be long and they don't have to have big words. He literally told us that. <laughs> Jesus said that, okay? They don't have to be long. They don't have to have big words. And so pray with me these words if you want. Not out loud, just silently. Let's close with this prayer. Heavenly Father, will you give me hope today? In Jesus' name, amen.